in this field, it's just a little bit different. You've really got to take care of yourself. You're on your own. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. So 336 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. And sorry, a slight schedule change. Today it is not 335 as Adam O'Grady, Assistant Commissioner to the ATO, as promised. Today it is 336 with Harrison Dell. The ATO asks us for an extension of the review period until Thursday. So we will publish the interview with Adam O'Grady next Monday and today we start our interviews with Harrison Dell. Over the next three episodes, let's talk about how crypto actually works from blockchain technology over mining, proof of work, staking and proof of stake, rug pools and a lot more and what exactly the ATO can see when you trade crypto. Harrison Dell of Kadena Legal in Sydney is a tax lawyer specializing in crypto. And so Harrison will walk you through all this over the next three weeks. Today, let's start with trading crypto, including when you don't actually trade, but just get given crypto, like a gift, so-called airdrops. The first question to Harrison Dell is, as a tax lawyer with a special focus on crypto, is there actually that much work around crypto? And if there is, why? Is it to help people who have fallen victim to crypto scams and so need legal help to get their money back? Or is it that the ATO is very active in this space with many audits and hence the need for legal backup? It's a great question and there is a lot of work in this space and there are basically two or three tax specialists in this country who actively seek it out and, I, and I'm one of them. It's generally not dealing with scams It's generally a much better story. It's generally people made a lot of money, such as they've, they've held Bitcoin for many, many years. And there are some relatively straightforward tax structuring tips that tax specialists would already know, but it takes just a little bit extra to apply it to crypto. And you know people can obtain corporate tax rates and, and things like that. ATO is not yet active in this space. They've really only started end of last year to actually start auditing people again. It's... Um, And, and they're pretty rudimentary at this stage, but I know that they're progressing their tech pretty quickly. They're going to be looking very deep because there's a lot of money going around. The big question is, are you a trader or are you an investor? If you're an investor, then you probably don't want to go through companies, but you want to go through trusts because otherwise you lose 50% CGT discount. Yes, that's right. However, I might add that there are a lot of investors, especially in things like NFTs, that won't hold the asset for more than 12 months. I see. So then you don't have to worry about the 50% CGT discount. So then you might as well go through a company. That's right. And we've got the 122A rollover. I can stuff pretty much anything into a company and off we go. In that case, you would just do the normal structuring that you have a company held by a trust that then distributes to a bucket company or to other beneficiaries. For an investor, if they held it personally, which they often do from the beginning, it's not possible to get it under a trust structure in the beginning. Instead, you can do the 122A rollover, which is moving it to a wholly owned company. And, and that will limit your tax in the short term. Now you've got to use your after-tax money to get it into a trust 
But if, if the company is held by a trust, then you can roll it over into the company, correct? Not if you're an investor. I see. Yeah, the only rollover that lets you move something under a trust is the 328G. They're only for business, correct? The, the 122A covers any CGT asset. So uh, like I, I was in regular tax before I did crypto tax, and I would use it often to insert a holding company between a trust and a operating company. That's the rollover that you use. It can apply to any CGT asset. It can apply to real estate, although you wouldn't do it for stamp duty. It can apply to shares in a company. It can apply to artwork, it can apply to all sorts of things. It applies the same to cryptocurrency. I am hazy on how crypto is different to foreign currency because I think they're both CGT assets. It's just that it's, I think the reason that they are treated differently is because foreign currency then has this special rule around subdivision 960C. Is it that crypto and foreign currency start the same way as a CGT asset, but then foreign currency has these special rules in 960C? Is that how crypto and foreign currency are different? Yes. Well, you got to start at the very basic. So at its base, pretty much everything is a CGT asset. And so everything is in CGT. And I'm a CGT specialist. That's how I think. And the Forex rules apply on top to realize special Forex realization events. And they'll realize income, essentially. So that actually operates semi-outside, but there are also some connections, I believe, in the K events that relate to foreign currency. So there is a significant overlap, but at this stage, pretty much all cryptocurrency is not going to be a foreign currency. The previous ATO view was that none of it was foreign currency, which was in a determination from 2015. However, we've had El Salvador now adopted as legal currency, and the ATO has essentially hinted that their old ruling may be incorrect, and they, they, they intend to review it. So both CGT assets, but foreign currency has this special block of rules put over it that at the moment don't apply to crypto, but there is a chance that one day, especially when crypto is more and more accepted, that these FX rules in 960C will also be applied to crypto. Yes, that's right. And currently there is talk of legislative change to do that. You know, it's very early talk, too early to tell what's going to happen, but it may be that um, those rules become more prominent, which would be unfortunate because those rules are not very fun to deal with. Ordinary income against CGT. The ATO always stresses that crypto is not just CGT, but it's also ordinary income. But unless you do staking or something similar, you're unlikely to have ordinary income, correct? I mean, probably 99% of the music is in the CGT field, correct? Unless, of course, you are a trader and you're running it as a business. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. You go back to the regular tenants of what is ordinary income and you look at income from property and staking without going too far into the depths of what it is, 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 is like interest. And that is pretty clearly income from property. So there's not much to say apart from the ATO probably has it right there. Of course, if you're carrying on a business, historically, short share traders and other sorts of traders were viewed with a bit of scrutiny. But from some helpful discussions with the ATO, they, they have told me at least that they take a practical view, which doesn't really tell me much. But you know, if you do a lot of transactions, if you operate like a business, you may be making uh, income from business, another category of ordinary income. But yes, most people who are passively investing will be in the CGT space only. And they won't have ordinary income unless they do staking or have a liquidity pool or something similar. 
Yes, that's right. And with the onset of centralized exchanges now offering some staking, there will probably be people who are holding crypto who think I may as well stake it and earn some income. So there may be a bit more, a larger portion of people who earn a bit of income from staking. And that will completely change the game because as soon as you have income, as as soon as you have an income producing asset, you can ne negatively gear it. That's right. Although with interest rates this low, negative gearing is tricky to do, still possible. But I encourage anyone in this space looking to take on debt for crypto investing is the decentralized lending platforms actually often offer a 0% interest rate because of their business model. So depending on how you do it, yes, you can negatively gear anything theoretically. As long as, as, long as it is income producing. As long as it produces income, that's right. Can I ask you about profit-making schemes? Because when people talk about development, there's always this thing in the middle that's called profit-making schemes. So you have capital on one side, you have business on the other side, and in the middle you have profit-making schemes. Does that apply to crypto? Because when I ask the ATO about profit-making schemes in the crypto space, they kind of shook their head and said, well, you always do something, even capital is to make a profit. They, you know, they didn't really seem to be able to, didn't have much to say about that. Is that a thing for crypto, profit-making schemes? I don't see how it's not, uh, not possible. I've yet to see it in practice. And this is the, the, the Maya principle we're talking about really here, which is um, something between CGT and business income, something else that's also income. But that's, I think it's going to be quite rare, probably possible. And it's probably more possible the more this space matures and there are more complex instruments flying around. Somebody who trades crypto and shares, and because these often go hand in hand, do you find that people who trade crypto also are very likely to trade shares or do you find it's two different type of people? I find they're more likely to trade futures because they seem quite risk hungry. So <laughs> they do those sorts of things. So let's say there is somebody who trades crypto and futures from morning to dusk. They go through it in a quite professional way, but they don't have any clients or so. They just trade for themselves. So it's difficult to say that they are running a business. Hence, I would think somebody like that would be a profit making scheme. And Yeah, I think it's going to be at least a profit-making scheme. But the more transactions you do, the more records you keep, the more business-like that you appear, you'll probably just fall into the carrying on a business category because we, we do have share traders that are carrying on a business who just trade from themselves. You know, Leveraged traders are, are one example. And that sort of activity can happen in the crypto space too. You know, you've got leveraged trading, you've got futures, all those things as well. If they're doing all those sorts of things, rather, let's say, moderately sophisticated, I think the ATO would more likely say they're a business, um, but as a backup, always have the profit-making intention. Do you know why it seems to be that in development and property development, this profit-making scheme seems to play a big role? So, for example, when somebody just once off creates a duplex and sells it, why in property development this seems to be a big thing and in crypto it yeah doesn't seem to exist is it because in property development you basically just do one transaction and that one transaction is is about a lot of money whereas in crypto you tend to have more transactions yeah i see what you mean and um luckily in a previous life i did a lot of property development work as well so i could probably give some insight but in property like the mischief with the profit making intention was that someone would buy a block of land And they'd develop it and they'd sell it and they'd say, hey, that's on capital account, relying on um, on cases like Whitford's Beach and 
it doesn't really happen in that sort of way for crypto because it's more like a liquid asset. Going back to the Maya case, that was all around a bizarre assignment of loans scheme, which essentially provided them with um, with a cash injection they thought was tax free, and it wasn't. So it, I'd have to have a look at some case studies. I've yet to actually cover that in anyone's issues. I guess it's possible if you're dealing, say, in large amounts of Bitcoin and doing all sorts of things to extract value from it that doesn't trigger income tax, you may actually be caught up in a profit-making scheme. So for now, we basically just state that, yes, in property development, you tend to have three buckets, capital, profit-making scheme, and business, whereas in crypto, even though in theory you could have the bucket in the middle as a profit-making scheme, The practice at the moment is very much just two buckets. You're either on capital or you are a trader as a business. Yes, I think that's that's pretty much it. Yes. How often do you see CFDs in crypto? In terms of advisory, not too often, but I do know lots of clients that are doing it. A lot of exchanges enable it. Um, the biggest one I can recall is Binance, provide a pretty sophisticated investment platform where you can access futures and leverage and, and things like that. Um, it is becoming more, I guess, commodified, where it used to be that you just buy some crypto and hold it for a while and you make 100,000 times your investment. But now people are taking these more sophisticated strategies like CFDs, futures, arbitrage is now coming up quite a lot because the market's so fragmented. There are now a lot more strategies than just buying some random coin and hoping it goes up in value a lot. Although that still works, it seems. The CFD is interesting from a taxation point because CFDs hit your tax return straight away, either as an income or a loss. Do CFDs fall into this bucket of profit-making schemes? You're probably right because the, the view has been for non-crypto CFDs is that it's always on income account. Now that I think about it, it most likely is because there's a profit-making intention because those individuals may or may not be in business. You can take out just a few CFDs if you want. And obviously, you're, you're acquiring that, that CGT asset because everything's a CGT asset. You're acquiring it for the purpose of deriving income and making a profit. That sounds like a profit-making undertaking or scheme to me. What do you think? So for CFDs, we do have this bucket in the middle that is the profit-making scheme because CFDs only go into this bucket in the middle. Yes, yeah, so CFDs, futures, perhaps even some leverage trading would fall in that bucket too. And the good thing is that if you make a loss, you can tax deduct it against any other income you have because the commercial loss provisions don't apply because you're not a business. But the bad thing is, of course, if you have a good run, then it hits your tax return straight away. And then, of course, it is very advantageous if you're sitting in a company because then it only hits you at 25% and not at 47%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um You know, those sorts of income activities and depending on the size and scale and how much capital you've deployed, an easy solution could be to just use a company for those activities and do other activities in your own name, for example. Yeah. And then have it held by a trust. So then you can distribute it to your parents who don't have much income or whoever they are, whoever they is who hasn't maxed out their tax brackets yet. The commercial loss provisions, how relevant are they to crypto traders, they have these exceptions. And I think one of them is the 250,000 turnover rule. I can imagine a crypto trader would very easily exceed that. Hence, the commercial loss provisions tend not to apply to crypto traders. Is that right? That sounds right to me because simply based on turnover, I could probably have 10,000 
$1,000 that I put in and out of transactions just to hit that turnover threshold. And I know traders that while they may not be super sophisticated traders, they might have five to $10,000 of capital, but they can easily turn over, turn over, maybe not bring quite the right word. I mean, a million dollars in, in trades is, is very, very common to do. And obviously there's a profit margin on that, but um, I think it's the, the commercial loss provisions weren't really intended to apply to this kind of activity because they're more designed for you know your hobby farm where you're making losses, farming vegetables at the farmer's market um, to stop you claiming that on your tax return. That was the real mischief for those rules. I think there'll be an exception to make those fall away for crypto, whether it be practical or in the rules. Yeah, you're right. If somebody has $10,000 capital and they buy and sell it every day, they have exceeded that $250,000 threshold within 25 days. Yeah, exactly. You can you can run through it very, very quickly. And um, yes, easy to do. Can you tell me what airdropping is? So what is airdropping? And what can you do if you don't want it? So an airdrop is when a token or coin is deposited in your wallet without you having to do anything. And that's usually to launch a project, it may be as a reward for users of a network, or it may be a complete scam or somewhere in the middle. And airdrops are usually ordinary income from the ATO's view, but uh, there is some disagreement on that. So we have limited information from the ATO on their views of airdropping. Let's start with what they've put out. So first of all, all they've really put out is by saying that airdrops of established cryptocurrencies will be income for you. What is an established cryptocurrency? We don't know. It's also hard to run your tax advisory based on ATO information. So essentially, if you take the view that all your airdrops are income, you're going to have a problem because what what happens all the time is you may be eligible for an airdrop and it may just appear in your wallet one day without your approval. And that's one of the strange things about cryptocurrency that shocks some people is that I can receive coins in my wallet for doing nothing or simply interacting with the network. And one example is um, there was recently uh, an airdrop for something called the Ethereum name service or ENS. The ENS drop was worth about $10,000. And that was provided to people who had registered a name with the .eth domain name. Now, is that an established cryptocurrency? I don't know because it wasn't publicly traded until that point. The ATO has made it very hard to get any certainty on it, but there is also the fact that you can get scam coins appearing in your wallet. And some of these coins are nefarious where they will drain your wallet if you try and trade them, things like that. So you do need to be very, very careful on this space. But the the view that I put out there generally is that if you didn't ask for a cryptocurrency to be dropped into your wallet, I would, I would argue that it's not income for you because you didn't do anything. If you received an airdrop because of your activity, such as the ENS drop where you used that service before the crypto was in your account, then that may be income. It may be income. What is usually income is when you receive an established currency like Ethereum or Bitcoin, but that doesn't happen anymore these days. I have two questions for you. The first one is who does the airdrop? Is it the exchange or is it the actual cryptocurrency? So airdrops don't happen on centralized exchanges, you know, independent reserve, Binance and the like. They happen when you have a few names for it, but I call it a decentralized wallet. So you have your own keys, can trade on DeFi exchanges, do all those sorts of things. Anybody can create a cryptocurrency. I can, can create one in about five minutes. Doesn't mean it does anything. Doesn't mean it's got any value. And I can just get wallet addresses that have interacted with the contract and send it to all of them. 
it only happens on those decentralized wallets. And then why do they issue an airdrop? It's the first way to get people using your cryptocurrency. So it's like a marketing initiative. Yeah, it's it's a bit of marketing, but it's also a, a strategy. Like for, for a very early stage project, often you can use their system for free for a while. An example of quite a big project that did this very recently is um, Axie Infinity, which is a play to earn game. On Axie Infinity, you, you can do all sorts of things. You make all these transactions on, on their own blockchain. And it was just the other day that they launched a token called Ron or Ronin. And the Ronin token was dropped into your wallet based on how you've interacted with a certain part of the network. So I had interacted a little bit and I received about 22 US dollars worth of cryptocurrency. Otherwise, the only alternative, and it was very popular in the 2017 boom, um, was doing an initial coin offering or an ICO. People have to come and pay money for your tokens. And people may not be willing to do that. Instead, you may just want to get it out there and get it flowing. And airdrops are often part of a marketing strategy to reward early adopters. And, and then you make it a requirement to using your system. So people have to buy it. You give it utility and value that way. So you build the product and then you say, you need to buy this coin to use that product. And that's how it gets its value. That's the, that's the common way that I see. And third question, you said it, some airdrops are nefarious and they drain your wallet. How can you, they drain your wallet? So without going too much into the technical, because I am not a developer and I don't understand it to that level, but essentially coins can have certain vulnerabilities in their smart contracts. So a nefarious operator could design a cryptocurrency and deposit it into 100,000 addresses. And if you try and sell that cryptocurrency, it may try and do something such as connect you to another smart contract, which would automatically drain your funds, an untrustworthy one. So if you receive scam coins in your wallet, you need to be very, very careful because there are a whole range of strategies and tactics. And the amount of cryptocurrency scams that got Australians, I believe it was more than a few billion dollars that was taken in the last financial year. So it could be, for example, that this airdrop arrives with a contract attached that basically says, if you try to sell this airdrop, then you agree to our terms of and conditions and our terms and conditions then say that you have to pay us this or that and you might not read the small print. Good. So to come back to the taxation of airdroppings, it is basically that the ATO sees it as ordinary income. Yes. Whereas you are saying if there's nothing you have done to earn this, so you, you haven't traded or you haven't done anything, then it shouldn't count as ordinary income because you just did absolutely nothing. It just was a pure, it was like a lottery win. Yeah, essentially, because you go back to, well, what are the three main categories of ordinary income? That's what the ATO says it is. So that's what we have to start with. There's income from business income from property and income from exertion as the three broad categories. Now, I've had coins placed in my wallet that I've done nothing. I've never interacted with that project. In fact, what they did is they saw everyone who interacted with a different project and then used all those wallet addresses because that information is all public. Now, I, it's, it's not income from property because I didn't have any property that was relevant. I didn't do anything to get it and I'm not in business. So the ACO is simply saying that its income on the website really isn't good enough in my books. There, there needs to be more guidance coming. And I understand there is a lot of push for that. But we have some tax rulings on this stuff. 
but we're missing a lot in the DeFi space. And that includes airdrops. When you say DeFi, you mean decentralized finance and DeFi are these platforms, correct? That are not centralized by the government or somebody else, correct? Yeah, essentially. So you've got you've got TradFi, people call it, which I hate, um, which is traditional finance. And in traditional finance, you've got a bank and a bank will keep a ledger of all the ins and outs and that's it. When you've got a DeFi protocol, decentralized finance protocol, you've got a special smart contract that allows people to provide the capital to fund that operation and what it will do and the fees will be returned to the capital contributors in the proportion that they contributed. It becomes, and this is why it's groundbreaking technology, this is why everyone's obsessed with it, is it becomes a way for you to deal with other people without needing a central authority. You just need someone to provide the service and the people who provide the service get rewarded, but it's it's also transparent and it's guaranteed because that's the nature of the blockchain. Things are irreversible. As long as you don't make a mistake yourself, DeFi protocols essentially build trust. So traditional finance is governed by laws and regulations set by a central bank or a government. DeFi is basically governed by this smart contract. Yes, yes. And it's often a collection of smart contracts. And there are a range of different levels of trust that you can have in these protocols. There are some very large protocols such as Aave, PancakeSwap. Anything food themed is usually a good one for some reason. And there's a whole range of not very good ones as well that provide more obscure services. So you need to understand the smart contract risk because the smart contract can be built in a way where the contributors of the capital will actually lose their funds, which is why we, it's what we call a rug pull. Um, and that is still happening all the time. We have services out there that audit smart contracts to confirm whether they're high and low risk. And that's becoming more and more the norm, but this is still happening. People are still jumping on projects that probably are not trustworthy. And, and that's simply because people don't understand smart contracts. And I count myself in that bucket. I, I can't read code. I can't audit things myself. Whereas when you go through a central bank, there is government guarantees, there is regulations that they must follow. They can't just take your funds and run off. So you don't have that fear. But in this field, it's just a little bit different. You've really got to take care of yourself. You're on your own. Welcome back. So airdrops are a gift with baggage. In the next episode, episode 337, let's talk about blockchains because blockchains are at the heart of all this. Without understanding the rudimentary basics of blockchain technology, we can't understand proof of work or staking or proof of stake or mining or anything else. So in the next episode, Harrison Dell of Kadena Legal in Sydney will walk you through an example to show you how blockchains and proof of work actually work. And we will also discuss NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And may I just quickly talk to you about something else. Last week, we published US update number 15 about LLC income. And tomorrow, US update 16 is due with Simon Baker about non-ECI, non-FEDEP income. The thing is, on one hand, I'm thinking, don't try to fix something that isn't broken. You patiently listen to the US updates, just like the usual episodes. So the listener statistics are fine. But in the coming episodes, we are really going deep into the internal revenue code and U.S. state sales tax and U.S. state income taxes, income tax, corporate state tax, and it just gets very granular U.S. American. 
And I'm just worried that I will test your patience by going too far off track. So the idea is to move the US updates into a separate channel so that under text talks, you just have Australian tax. And that, of course, includes the taxation of worldwide income in Australia, as well as double tax agreements affecting your Australian tax position. But the pure primary US federal and state taxes and tax admin and forms, let's move that to a separate channel. So tomorrow you won't get US update 16 under tax talks, but instead it will come out as a separate channel called US tax. And so to start with tomorrow, you will just have US 16 there all by itself. But then with time, we will move the other US updates 1 to 15 across so that you have all US updates together. And then, of course, going forward, there will be plenty more to come about US tax. So I hope you like that and I hope it works for you. But please let me know if it doesn't. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.